Hey there, friend. It's Clarissa, founder of Blossoming Fertility and the host of the Fertility Friends podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, I know the path to motherhood isn't always easy, and you don't have to go through it alone. After experiencing my own fertility challenges, I discovered a passion for helping other women because I believe that everyone's fertility journey is unique and beautiful in its own way. As your new fertility friend, I'm here to support you through the tough times, to encourage you to keep going, and to restore your belief in your body's ability to get and stay pregnant. Grab your cup of tea, get cozy, and join me here each week for education, heartfelt conversations that'll warm your soul, and inspiring stories to help you feel seen and understood along the way. Listen in, because this one's for you, my friend. Hey there, friend. Welcome to episode eight of the Fertility Friend podcast. This time I'm interviewing a very special guest that is near and dear to my heart, and that is my business coach, mentor, and friend, Leah Gervais. Now, this interview is a bit different compared to previous ones that I've done, Reason being is that Leah didn't actually experience any type of fertility challenges, but believe me, this episode is really good. You won't want to miss it because we talk about what her life was like when she conceived her son. Everything from her mindset, her physical health, and how she was in such a good place with her business, her life, and her relationship. These are the things that are so important for fertility that we often overlook. I personally feel this is a big reason why she was able to conceive so easily, and that's what I want for you too. So remember, optimal health is fertility health, and we have to look at health in a holistic way, including the mind, body, and soul. So Leah also goes on to share some valuable wisdom as she opens up about her birth story, her experience as a new mom, and as an entrepreneur. I don't want to spoil it and give it all away, so I'll let you tune in for yourself, but I know you're going to love this conversation as much as I did. So before we dive in, let me introduce you to Leah so you can get to know her a little bit better. Leah Gervais is an online business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. She has helped hundreds of her clients start and scale successful side hustles and businesses and supports them all the way to their businesses generating six figures per month. She's a new mom living in New York City with her toddler and her husband and works part-time while focusing on motherhood the other four days of the week. This conversation is unique and really inspiring. So without further ado, let's listen in. All right. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the Fertility Friend Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm really excited to... (laughs) Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say hi. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Um, Thanks again for being here. I want to take it back. Why don't we go ahead and start with sharing a little bit more about who who Leah is and who you were maybe before your business. Sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Leah. I'm very excited to be here. I love talking about motherhood and pregnancy and all of that um, and how it does relate to entrepreneurship in my business. So I am from Colorado. I'm actually not too far from a town, not too far from where you are, as you know. Um, and I grew up really only knowing one thing about my life, which is that I wanted to be a New Yorker. I think a lot <laughs> of women say I knew I wanted to be a mother or maybe they had a career path they really wanted. And I like had ideas for those things, but all I really knew I wanted to do is live in New York City. It was sort of like I was a dancer growing up and we all talked about being on Broadway and, you know, being ballerinas. And then we all kind of like grew up and got into high school and started talking about college. And people were like, yeah, I'm going to the University of Colorado. And I'm like, 
I'm still, I'm still going to New York. <laughs> I never grew out of it. Like I just never forgot it. So that. that's kind of how my story begins. And I think that um, it really does have informed so much of who I am today and my life here. I still live in, I, I live in New York to this day and, um, and my business, because when I look back at what I was really visualizing, I think it was more than just the city itself that drew me in. It was the sense of ambition and possibility and all the history with New York and, kind of just that um, energy that I feel in New York. I know not everyone does, but I think a lot of people do find that quench of like, you know, the world is yours for the taking. And I think that came with me just wanting to have an impactful career and just make the most of life. I think that that's really what I saw in New York and speaks a lot to my personality. So I moved to New York when I was 18 for school and I'm on year 13 being here. Wow. (laughs) That's so awesome. It's so perfect for you too. I feel like it just totally fits you. And I love that about your just identity too. It's just so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's definitely like an embarrassingly big part of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's embarrassing at all. I love it. I think it makes you so much cooler, Leah. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It is my awesome. soul's home. That's for yeah. sure. And I love that I love where I live. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people live where they live because they grew up there or because they have family there or because they have a job there. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it does feel like such a blessing to get up every morning and intentionally be like, oh, I'm so happy this is where I'm waking up. Yeah, that's a huge part of just feeling really aligned in your life. I feel like yeah. you found that place that just your soul's calling you there and it fits and um, that's where you're most fulfilled. So I love that for you. So tell me a little bit more because I know when you moved to New York, you were not in the business that you're in now, right? So tell me a little bit more about that transformation from what you were doing when you first got there from college and then um, to where you are now. When I was in college, I decided or sort of went on the path of becoming a lawyer. That was sort of where I thought I was going to go with all of this. And I was in pre-law and um, I did kind of an interesting path at NYU, which is a different conversation, but that's the career I thought I was going to have in New York. And looking back, I feel like that honestly wasn't because I was terribly interested in the law. I think it was more because of assumptions I had about the legal field and sort of the way our society praises people that go through the legal or medical um, schooling system, which is very prestigious and very academic and very impressive. And it just sort of, I think, matched with what my assumption for a big fulfilling life in New York would be. Um, so that's kind of the path I went down. And I just thought that it would be an exciting thing to do in New York. There are the best law firms in the world here. That is true. And some of the best law schools and very, very smart people in it. So I thought it would be exciting. So after NYU, I worked as a paralegal had a law firm here on 42nd street for a little while. And I was pretty firm in this path. I studied for the LSAT. I applied to schools. Um, I worked there for two years. I got accepted. And in so many ways, I was checking off these boxes and sort of at the end of that time, when I was having to decide which law school I was going to go to, I kind of had my first experience communicating with my intuition, so to speak. And, you know, you've worked with me before, you know how much I believe in that now, but I hadn't like cultivated that mindset or that um, relationship with myself at the time. So I really don't know where it came from. I think a woman's intuition can sometimes just be so strong that you can't ignore it. And in that moment, I just intuitively knew that I did not, I was not going to be a lawyer. I could not see it. You know, it's so interesting. Maybe you have something to touch on with, with your own motherhood journey, but 
when I looked back at like a visualing, visualizing myself living in New York, I never, it was clear as day, you know, I could so see it. But when it came to visualizing myself, actually going to law school, um, doing all the boring parts of being a lawyer, (laughs) I couldn't see it. So I listened to that and I declined my acceptances and it was very scary. You know, when I say it now, it feels like it probably shouldn't have been that scary. I was in my mid early twenties. No one really knows what they're doing with life at that time. But I felt like I had just spent the only professional experience I had in my academic years working towards something that I was essentially starting over from. I felt like I was turning 18 again. So I decided to start a blog to accompany myself in this sort of road less traveled where I was basically trying to find that still quote big life in New York that I had been chasing since I was like 10. And I didn't know what career path that would be. And I didn't know if I'd go back to school. I didn't know how much money I'd make. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have a lot of money at the time, but I just wanted to kind of create something that was mine and connect with people about it because I felt quite lonely. Um, and long story short, that blog turned into my business and that business turned into my career. And I've now been self-employed for five years um, working on it. And it is, yeah, it's a dream come true. I definitely was meant to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, you're just thriving in that area. And I love seeing your success. And I think too, it's amazing that you really, excuse me, that you did listen to your intuition and follow that nudge. I think a lot of people can tend to maybe ignore that side of things and think, oh, that's just maybe a limiting belief or something too. And they don't always pursue it. So the fact that you followed that intuition, followed those thoughts, I think is really inspiring. Um, how how did your intuition maybe play a role into motherhood? So when did you first know that you wanted to become a mom? It never felt like a decision I had to make. It always mm-hmm. just was. It was something I always just envisioned would be part of my life. And you know, in a sense, I was a little bit passive about it. Um, And I say that in comparison to how intentional I am with other parts of my life, I feel like I'm very decisive, and I very much have visions for things. And motherhood sort of just felt like it would eventually happen. And I never really questioned it. But I didn't really have a whole lot of, I don't know, honestly, passion for it or um, planning for it. Um, I think that the reason that I was such a default in my own mind is because I'm very close with my own parents and I just couldn't imagine not, you know, continuing that on. And that was really where the drive for motherhood came from and where the assumption that I would just have a fam, have kids one day came from was just because I loved being a kid with my parents. And so I wanted to kind of be on the other end of that, um, of that relationship. And when I met my husband, we both felt on the same page as that. It was neither of ours priority when we got married. We both are entrepreneurs. We actually both are ex-legal fielders. My husband went all the way. He was, he's a lawyer by, by trade, but he doesn't do that anymore. So we were very professionally focused. We were very work focused. Um, But both of us kind of, I think, had that same intuitive feeling of just, well, one day we'll have kids because both of us came from very tight relationships with our parents. And so we really had that in common and that was nice. Neither of us was particularly rushed, but neither of us was... Uh, questioning it either. And so I guess we just got very lucky in that sense. When my dad died, which happened when I was 25, uh, there was part of me that felt like I wanted to become a mom sooner, almost to fill the gap in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think logically in my mind, I even then could tell how emotionally charged that was. And it wasn't something that I was ready for in other senses of it. So other than that, it's really just sort of been like a not when or wait, not if, but when. Hmm. 
I love that. Yeah. So there was that confidence that it's going to happen. It's part of my yes. business, part of what I've always wanted for my life. So um, yes. And I talk, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, no, but I just want to make a point with that because I also felt like that about my husband. I just mm-hmm. didn't go through dating thinking like, will I get married or um, will I meet the right person or well, how, am I doing it right? I just had this certainty about it. And maybe I was mm-hmm. a bit ignorant and maybe I was a bit lucky and maybe I was a bit, um, I don't know, maybe it was a bit naive, but as a business coach, I talk to my clients about how they can cultivate that sense of certainty with their business. A lot of the times, maybe they don't have it with their marriage or relationship, so to speak, but oftentimes we do have at least one or two parts of our life that felt certain or felt obvious that we don't question. And then we have other things that we really want that we drive ourselves crazy over wondering, will it happen? Am I doing it right? Is it going to happen? I don't actually trust that this is going to happen at all. And when you can find those parts of your life where you had an inner certainty and, and, try to pick up the the crumbs, so to speak, about what allowed you to have that and apply it toward things that you are freaking out about. It can bring you a lot of inner pieces. It really is a superpower in a sense. It truly is. And I feel like so many women struggling on their fertility journeys, that's exactly that, right? Is yeah. that mentality of, well, is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? There's this frantic energy about it. Right. You lose right. Some of that initial certainty and confidence that you had when you first wanted to start trying to conceive. So what do you do or what have you done in your life to be able to cultivate that level of certainty? Because I don't think it was happen chance. I don't think it was just like, well, that's just how I am. I think you're very intentional about some of the actions that you do in your life. So what do you feel led to you having that level of certainty, whether it be in your relationship, motherhood, everything? I think one thing is having a relationship with the universe or God or a higher power, or even your um, like sort of inner wise woman, if you don't identify with something outside of you being more powerful, but if you can connect with a version of you that like is 90 and, you know, has all the context of how her life has gone in a way that you in the moment might not have. I think that that obviously, I, I think most people would say that that can help you when you're feeling unsure, uncertain, or um, like you, you, you feel like you need to control it all and you can't, where can you kind of pass over some of the things you can't control metaphorically and and get it emotionally off your plate. And I definitely have a relationship with God and the universe. And I think that that's helped me along the way, my whole, my whole life. Um, but when I'm struggling, cause it isn't always easy. And I think that that's helpful. And when I have parts, especially in my business where I'm feeling like, I just, I'm psyching myself out. And, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm feeling frantic about it. I truly believe energy is such a powerful, uh, manifester and, and force. And when your energy is completely chaotic and not matching the sureness that you want to feel, it's probably just going to deflect that a bit and, uh, and make it even harder to happen. So when I'm feeling that myself, I will try to look for proof of when I was able to trust myself and when things happened better than I thought they could, or when, um, I was able to connect the dot backwards. And I think that kind of almost realizing that all of us have a resume of things working the way they were supposed to for us mm-hmm. is a very helpful exercise to go down when you're feeling like I don't have that self-trust or I don't have that trust in God, or I don't have that trust in the universe, or what am I doing wrong? How can you take a moment or even just a journal page to look back and think, wait a minute, I can't see it now. That's true. Like acknowledge that and give yourself grace for that. Because I think we're always looking for, well, when will I get pregnant or when will I make the money that I want? That's what I, you know, think about with business. Um, And you can have grace with yourself that you don't know the answer to that. But what you can do is cultivate some surrender in that by recognizing all the other times you didn't have the answer and things did work out even better often than we thought they could. 
I love that so much. That is, that's really resonating. <laughs> like I'm going to have to go back and listen to that again. Yeah. because I feel like that's exactly that right balance. And to me, it's almost like when you have, you have a vision for your life or you have that plan also also so what's the difference maybe between having like a concrete plan if I want to be pregnant by this time or I want to make a certain amount of business in this time versus knowing that it is going to happen it's part of your ultimate long-term vision for your business if that plan doesn't happen the way you want it to how do you navigate that I know you said surrender can we dig into that maybe a little bit more and just um, yeah. Maybe share some practical tips that you have in that space. Yeah. I have a few mindset exercises I think are helpful. Something I like to do is, um, this is actually something from Mike Dooley, who's a mindset, um, or actually more of like a metaphysical author, but an exercise that he does that I love is to create two lists next to each other on the same page, right at the top, what you're trying to bring into existence, pregnancy or a income goal or a book deal or whatever. And make a list on the left side of all the things you can do to bring that to fruition. And then make a list on the right side of all the things the universe or God can do to bring that into fruition. And when you help, when you can see that you can't do everything, you cannot control the whole big picture, you can stop making yourself wrong for all the things that aren't going right, that aren't your responsibility or aren't your in your control. And it can start helping you be very proud of the fact that of all the things that you could do, you are doing. And that is really commendable, even if the result isn't there quite yet. I think that's one thing. Another thing, this is more of a concept than an exercise, but I think that this, I always talk about how this was the thing that pivoted my success beyond like my, my blog took two years to take off. You know, it wasn't an overnight success story. I had a lot of stagnation for a long time. And when things really started to take off is when I started to understand the power of decision-making and, how internally you can decide I will be a mother and you can end the sentence there. You might not know when or how, or if it's going or how the conception will happen, or even if it will biologically be yours. I understand that all can be very heavy. I'm not trying to minimize it, but if you can have that internal sense of knowing that I've decided this will happen and like, show me how it can happen. That's a lot more powerful than this constant wavering of, will it happen? Am I doing it right? Should I try harder? Should I pull back? And having the firm decision made is it is a much more powerful stance to move forward with. It's the same with business. I always tell people like if you can't decide that you're never going to work for someone else again, then don't even bother <laughs> mm-hmm. because you're forever going to taunt yourself every time you have a hard day, should I go look and get another 9 to 5 job and you'll never get anything done. Yeah. That's such helpful advice. It's almost like cementing that belief then, right, into your your psyche, into your body to where it's it's just inevitable. It's going to right. happen no matter what, right? So That's right. Um when you have that firm belief, I feel like that's when things around you, the universe really starts to support that belief that you have and align things to having you ultimately achieve what you're wanting. So that's awesome. Um, I love that, Leah. Thank you very much. I think those are very practical, tangible tips that people can implement too, just to start chipping away at that and really start forming that belief. Um, Why don't we talk about your path to pregnancy? Um, Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't really have any challenges, right? Once you started trying, you were able to successfully get pregnant. So um, let's talk about that a little bit more and maybe why you think or what led you down to that path and why it maybe was a little bit easier for you than it is for others. Yes. Yes. I'm extremely fortunate. I, I have very close friends and family members that have not had that same experience. And I only have one kid. I don't know how the rest of my pregnancies will go. Hopefully, you know, they, they are smooth and hopefully I'm blessed to be a mom again, already a mom, but have another kid. 
Um, but yes, my first one was not something that I struggled with. I, uh, the way it went, um, is that I had decided that I did not want to be on birth control anymore. I was on the Mirena IUD, which I think if I remember correctly is a lighter hormonal birth control, but is still hormonally infused. It's not like the copper one, which is completely free of hormones. I was on the copper one for a while, but my period cramps were very, very awful. And, um, I have bad scoliosis. So the back pain just would be unbearable for like a good week of the month. So I got on Marina, but then I had been married for a few years and I just felt like there's no reason for me to be on this. I I would be, it would be fine if I got pregnant, but, uh, and so I just want to get off of it. So I got off of it in January of 2021 and my husband and I decided that we would start trying in January of 2022. We would kind of give it a year for my body to regulate and Mm. to get the hormones out of it. And um, also we were just going through some transitions in life. We were moving back from New York and we did one year in Miami. That's the, 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 uh, the caveat <laughs> I just went on about how great New York is, but we, we <laughs> lived in Miami for a year because of the pandemic. It was very hard in New York, of course. Mm-hmm. So we just were sort of like, yeah, once we get back to New York and get settled, um, then, you know, then we can really sit down and start trying and tracking it and all of that. We didn't have time for any of that to happen because I got pregnant like two months after I got the IUD removed, which is just the honest truth. So I was very, very fortunate and I, you know, fully acknowledge that there are some things now that I look back and see that, um, I've learned since then that I think helped my chances of getting pregnant. But of course I have you know, none of us can have any idea how much they impacted it or not. Um, the two things specifically are that I, uh, gave up alcohol also at the beginning of that January. So I got pregnant, um, in March And at the beginning of January, I stopped drinking and I didn't touch, I still don't, I still don't drink to this day. So everything that I've read has pointed to alcohol being not helpful for fertility or for your hormonal health. I don't know how much of a difference it played, but it's certainly notable that I was not drinking at all. And, um, I still don't drink, but if I were to try to conceive again, I think it would be something I would definitely cut out just also for your own peace of mind. Even if you do get pregnant and then you have a drink early on, um, I think that that would be stressful. And the other thing I think I did that, um, optimized my hormones now looking back was cycle sync. I read that book in the flow by Elisa Vitti, Alyssa Vitti, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Um, and really, really loved that. I dove into syncing my work with my cycle, you know, taking time off during my period and taking sales calls only while ovulating, um, (laughs) as well as my nutrition and exercising. So not exercising heavily on my period, doing weights when I was in between ovulation. So again, I don't know exactly how much it did, but I'm a big fan of cycle syncing and I was doing that when my period or when I got pregnant. So I can't imagine that it hurt it. Um, I also think that there's just probably some simple things that I think a lot of people do nowadays, like, you know, try to eat organic food. I think all of that probably helps somewhat. Tell me about your stress levels during that time too, because at what point, where were you at in your business? What was it like, I guess, at that point, was it really stressful? Um, Do you feel like you had a good balance with your, your routine, Uh, maybe some of the like self-care and even your mental state, I guess, at that point, what was that like? Yeah, that's a great question. So my first reaction is I'm not a very stressed out person. I'm just like not available to be stressed. I think (laughs) we're just too short and like, we all just should have more fun with things. So, um, I wasn't terribly stressed, but I was particularly relaxed and health focused and almost euphoric during that time, because Mm -hmm. I felt so good cutting out alcohol. Um, I could go down the whole 
you know, story of my sobriety. It's not one of addiction. I don't identify as an alcoholic. I didn't quit because I was struggling with alcohol. Um, I more so went from being, I say I wasn't a heavy drinker. I wasn't getting drunk often. I never took shots, things like that, but I was a frequent drinker, meaning I would have a glass of wine with dinner most nights, you know, five, six nights a week, if I'm being honest, only one or two glasses, but nonetheless, it was very ingrained in my routine. And I was a very unconscious drinker. Like I would just do it out of habit rather than thinking like, do I actually want this glass of wine right now? Mm -hmm. And in the end there, it really started interfering with my sleep, even if I only had a little. Um, And I just felt like it was hurting my health more than anyone wanted to admit because we live in such an alcohol obsessed culture that I feel like anytime I was sort of like, Hey, are you guys also like not sleeping because of alcohol or like, are you starting to feel more foggy as we get a bit older? People just would shut it down because no one wants to say, and maybe look, maybe I had a particularly weakness to it. I don't, I don't know, but it seems to me like it's pretty crappy for most of us. And a lot of people don't want to look that in the face because it's a big part of their life. So when I cut it out at that, at the beginning of that year, um, it sort of was like this catalyst to, I don't know, more of like a personal development and healing journey. I was really, really into sleeping. And then I would have a whole nighttime routine to sort of like take place of my wine. Um, I had this kind of like nighttime mocktail I would make myself, which helped me sleep really well. Um, I was in like the best shape of my life. And all of that kind of came from sobriety and me just feeling like, what can I do now that alcohol is never in my system? What does it feel like to be able to have mornings in a completely new way or to have full nights, like sleep nine hours every night, things like that. So I haven't thought about it that way, but now that you asked that question, I probably was particularly relaxed. (laughs) Yeah, No, it seems like it. It seems like the word euphoric when you said that I can totally relate to that. And I feel like that's such an important state of mind for optimal fertility. And I feel like we discount that a lot of times and we think, oh, well, life's just busy. This is just how I have to be. This is just how I have to feel all the time. But that's the type of, I think, state that we all want to tap into, that we really should be tapping into. That's that's what life's about, right? We need to be experiencing that joy. We need to be experiencing that that euphoria and all the things that we're doing. So um, I'm glad that giving up alcohol really gave you that clarity and kind of set your life on that that path. Not that it was negative before, but it just it's crazy how maybe those unconscious decisions that we're making every single day can have a negative impact without us even realizing it until we take the time to stop and take a step back. So thank you for sharing that. I totally agree. I think that's awesome. So let's see. So at that point, let's talk about pregnancy. So once you did find out that you were pregnant, um, what was that like for you? So I went from (laughs) best shape of my life, waking up every day on a cloud, feeling like I could conquer the world to like not being able to get out of bed. It was definitely a big contrast, but no, the day, I mean, the day I found out I was pregnant was, you know, one of the best days of my life. Second only to the day that I gave birth, which was also the worst day of my life. (laughs) Yeah. We'll definitely talk about that. Yep. (laughs) I'm like still processing all of that, but, um, but I, there's so much, you know, to share here. I, uh, found out that I was pregnant the day that I missed my first period. It was, you know, very, very early because I was cycle syncing. My hormones were like working like clockwork. So I remember it was a Monday morning and, um, I woke up that morning and I wrote out my to-do list for the week. Like I usually do. And on it, it's, I just put, take a pregnancy test. I didn't really think I was pregnant. It's hilarious because now looking back the day that I took it that Sunday, the day before, 
we went out to brunch and um, the waiter just asked me what I wanted. And with a straight face, I was like, I will take red velvet pancakes and eggs Benedict. And I don't know why neither my husband or I were like, why are you ordering two dishes for yourself? The heaviest things on the menu. For whatever reason, I was just like, no, I'm hungry. I'm going to get both. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> like so obvious, you know, but um, anyway, that. I took it and it, it was very, uh, it was very, I, I thought that, um, you know, I hear stories of women seeing a pregnancy test and there's like a very faint line and it's mm. like only the woman who's looking can see. I was not even done peeing before this thing was like blinking. <laughs> yes. At me. It was like audibly. Sure. I felt like it was yelling at me. Like you are freaking pregnant. And I was like, Oh my God. I love um, it. No, but we were so happy, you know, and then we went and just took mm. a ton more tests and um, just kind of let it sink in. But because you find out so early and I didn't really tell anyone that first month is mentally very hard and lonely. I think for a lot of women, because you call the doctor, there's nothing they can do, right? They can't really detect a heartbeat until seven or eight weeks. Um, it was, it's my mom's first grandchild. We didn't want to tell anyone. Um, my husband, God bless him, tried his best to help me, but I felt very lonely. Mm -hmm. I felt very isolated because COVID was still going on at the time and the vaccine had not really rolled out slash it was kind of rolling out, but I didn't know how to think of it being pregnant. Yeah. And, um, so I just felt scared to be around, you know, a bunch of people and just was very afraid of getting COVID very early on in pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and I really just hit a lot of exhaustion and fatigue and, um, like totally lost all my motivation. And I think that was very, very hard for me as someone who has her own business and is always like motivated to work and create and really find so much joy out of my business. I, I lost a lot of it. So my first trimester was quite hard, but it got better after that. Yeah. So was there anything that you did during that first trimester to maybe make the second trimester a little bit easier? I know hormonally things start to balance out and some of that happens kind of naturally, but were there different practices that you put in place to kind of get yourself feeling back to normal? Well, you know, I think one thing I learned is that if and when I'm hopefully pregnant again, I'm not going to hide it from people as long mm -hmm. as I did. I think that that's a ridiculous, outdated um, practice. I mean, I understand that for some people, maybe it's a superstition or a religious thing you don't want to tell too early. And I'm not trying to, mm -hmm. um, you know, disrupt people's points of view, but it, in practice, it just seems like it keeps women mm -hmm. quiet and alone. And and if God forbid, I would have lost the baby, I still would have told people about that in my life. So it feels like that is something I really learned. And I think just being able to talk about it and tell my friends about it and tell my mom about it and yeah. talk through how, you know, it was affecting me and what I was thinking um, was helpful in my second trimester. Um, I also think that uh, just being able to be active more so when I stopped being so nauseous was very helpful. I don't know what I really learned about that, um, except I wish I could go back and give first trimester me such a hug and like, let her eat the junk food that she wanted. I mean, I remember sometimes eating like a bag of candy and calling my mom and being like, I feel so bad for my baby because I'm not giving him any nutrients. And then like, am I already a bad mother? You know, but like, you yeah. just said that I couldn't eat anything. And everyone tells you how important nutrition is. And it, it was just a lot. So yeah. I think that the takeaways are to just be easier on yourself and, you know, cultivate support if that's what you need. Yeah. I think, isn't it amazing how our bodies are just incredible because your baby is healthy. I mean, you, I mean, he got everything that he needed from you. Right. And right. I think leaning into some of those, I don't even want to call them cravings, but sometimes it's just like what your soul needs at the time. Like maybe don't align with your prior lifestyle and that's okay. Right. Give yourself some grace during pregnancy. 
totally. Sometimes I look back and I think I almost just like emotionally needed to be a shell more mm -hmm. than physically. You know, I yeah. almost like, it's almost like my body just, and my mind needed to just rest and yeah. like do nothing. And I think I couldn't come to terms with that. And it made me feel like I was using pregnancy as an excuse. And looking back, it's like your, your, your body knows what it needs. Yeah. Even if it doesn't add up the way you think it should just, just listen. Yeah. So true. And going back to what you were saying too, just about the, um, not really telling anybody ahead of time. And I know how hard that is to really kind of keep that secret inside. And especially for something so exciting, you're kind of bursting at the seams. You want to be able to tell people, you want them to be able to share in that joy with you. But I think a lot of women hesitate to tell people when they're pregnant, but even also on the fertility journey, sometimes people don't want to open up about what they're struggling with too. And I think as women, there's a lot of shame maybe at times too, but finding that community and being able to open up to people, I think is so beneficial. <clears throat> and we don't always realize it in the moment, but it's, I think it's really helpful. And a lot of times that's really what we need to be able to, to get through some of the more challenging parts of this journey, whether that be during pregnancy, fertility journey, um, postpartum and everything too, which we'll talk about as well. But um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's a good challenge for people. If you are hesitant to share, think about why maybe, and what you're really needing in that moment. And um, if it would be if it would serve you best to maybe open up um, without realizing it now. So thank you for yeah. that. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit more about pregnancy piece. How was leading up to your third trimester and then into birth? Let's explore that a little bit more too. Yeah. It, magical. I mean, I, I loved pregnancy beyond my first trimester. I still look back at it as one of the happiest times of my life. I think I'm also in one of the happiest times of my life right now, as I'm sure you can resonate with when you have mm -hmm. your first child, you know, and everything is so yeah. magical and new, but um, yeah, I love pregnancy. My, even my third trimester uh, was not so bad. I think maybe it was just because I like felt more okay pampering myself because I was visibly pregnant. And like, if I needed to cancel a work call, I felt, you know, like I could, whereas when I was in my first trimester, I, no one knew. So I didn't, you know, um, I think it was just like more acceptable for me to, to be pregnant, but I, I loved second and third. Um, I had a great pregnancy and I was very focused on preparing for birth. I really wanted to do a natural birth. I really wanted to do it medication free, which did not happen for reasons I'm happy to share if you want to go into the birth story. But um, yeah, my second and third were great. Work-wise, I worked pretty hard on preparing for maternity leave. That was certainly hard owning my own business. That was probably one of the hardest parts of my whole journey so far was a short maternity leave and on paid maternity leave. And it wasn't even that I minded. I started working a little bit at about nine weeks uh, postpartum. Um, and I say that, you know, intentionally, it was, it was not like I went back into an office 50 hours a week, mm -hmm. nine weeks later, I worked from home. I live in New York city. Our apartments are small. My baby was never more than like 20 feet from me. And I was able to still breastfeed the whole time. So it was a very gentle re-entrance in, but it was really more just the, the I, like fires that no one can put out, but you, um, as the, as the business owner, that was hard for me. Um, and to mentally switch from like thinking all about motherhood and the baby to work was sometimes hard. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, I had a great second and third trimester. I was very active. We traveled a lot. My husband and I really, really treated it. Like this is the last time it's going to just be us two. And we really had a wonderful few months. I love that. I think that's so important too. I don't know that people always realize, especially with your first child, how much your life is going to change um, and for the better, for sure. But um, different things that maybe you take for granted with some of the alone time with your husband and things like that. So I'm glad you were really able to 
maximize that and just take full advantage. Um, I wish we would have done more, honestly, oh. but, <laughs> but it's good. Well, it's hard. You got to be it's easy hard. on yourself. I mean, yeah. you never know how you're going to feel. You know, every day can be different. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, if you're open to it, I'd love to talk more about your birth experience too, um, whatever you're willing to share. But I think it's helpful for women to know what, maybe not necessarily what to expect, but like you mentioned, you went in with sort of this vision of what you wanted to happen and things were a little bit different. So um, if you want to maybe share a little bit about that, that would be awesome. Yeah. And I still want to hear your, your whole birth story. Please, yeah, absolutely. Lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're going to do a whole episode on it, but eventually yeah. I, yes. okay, great. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> um, yeah. So I decided to try hypnobirthing, which if you're not familiar yeah. listening to this is a, uh, uh, basically a version of putting yourself into a state of hypnosis so that you can more surrender. And the mm -hmm. things that really, uh, opened my eyes about this approach to birthing were that, um, women in our Western society are coached through birthing in a way that is very unnecessary. Women can actually give birth in comas when, when their minds aren't really thinking at all. We are truly born to do it, obviously, like any mammal. And so thinking about that, I was like, all right, if I could get my mind to kind of like actually exit the party and get my mind out of this fight or flight mode, then I might really be able to, to do this, um, without medication. And I wanted to do it without uh, an epidural because I wanted mobility to be able to move around. I have quite severe scoliosis and I didn't know how that would feel. Um, I also wanted to just be able to move right after and not have to be hooked up to a monitor. And I wanted to alleviate the risks of that can come with an epidural. And I don't know, I just, I felt like it was the natural way to do it. It just, it, it resonated with me. So I studied, studied hypnobirthing for about 10 weeks and I went to sleep every night listening to it. And I th thought I had a pretty good shot at it. Um, and I hired a doula who was great, um, but it just did not happen. So the birth story is that uh, my water broke at two 30 in the morning at 38 and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. And that was on Thanksgiving day. Now I live in New York, as you gathered from this episode on the upper West side on the parade route. Okay. <laughs> the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade was happening oh. outside of my building when I was in labor and I had to find a cab in the middle of the parade. It was insane. Oh my God. <laughs> It was truly crazy. But before I get there, my water broke. Of course, we were shocked. I was prepared to go late. I didn't think that I would have an early delivery. I don't think any of us did. You know, now looking back, I had my 38 week checkup the day before and the doctor had asked if I had had contractions and I said no. And he put his hand on my belly and he was like, oh, you're having a little contraction. And I was like, I think this guy's full of it because I just felt my belly harden and I literally thought it was my baby's feet like kicking up against me because it was not painful at all, at <laughs> all. You know, all I felt was a little bit of a hardening. Um, but now looking back, I'm like, okay, maybe the OBGYN <laughs> with 35 years of experience knew more than I did about what a contraction is, but whatever. He's a male. I thought he, <laughs> I totally dismissed it, but 2.30 water broke, called my doula, labored at home for as long as I could. Where I think the hypnobirthing kind of didn't happen is I, I think if I would have been able to be in a bath and like just put on my headphones and truly zone out, I think it might've been able to happen, happen a bit better. I couldn't get in a bath because when your water breaks, you, mm -hmm. you know, you have to go into, uh, you can't get in the bath because you could get an infection. And, um, I couldn't just surrender because we had to go to the hospital. Like, I think if you're doing it at home or in a birthing center and you're there the whole time from like the beginning to end of your labor, or at least when it really ramps up, then you could do it. But because I didn't get my head in that state of mind early enough on, I just never could like quite get there. So mm -hmm. labored at home for as long as I could. The pain was 
unbelievable, unbelievable. I have no words for it. And I, and I never wanted to be the person telling this story this way, because when I was studying hypnobirthing, I really only wanted to absorb positive birth stories and, you know, be someone who talks about birthing and in, in not these horrible terms of like, I literally felt like I was being ripped apart from the inside, but I did. Um, this is just what happened. I kept throwing up, uh, you know, and I just, all I could do was go from one shower to the other in our apartment. And I just moved from one back and forth. And finally at about 10 in the morning. So I had been laboring for almost eight hours. I told my doula, I want to go to the hospital. And she's like, you only want to go to the hospital because you want to move things along. But once you're at the hospital, just know that, you know, you, you can't move around. They're going to hook you up. Like at least right now you can be in the shower, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I want to go to the hospital. And she's like, are you feeling rectal pressure? And I was like, yes. And she's like, okay, we need to go to the hospital. (laughs) So we got to the hospital and, uh, through the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade, we found a cab, went around central park. I gave birth on the upper East side. And, um, when I got there, I was already six centimeters dilated, which I was happy about. I was like, all right, I'm okay. Did a lot on my own, proud of it. Get the epidural. I don't think the epidural fully worked or fully distributed through my body. Mm-hmm. I really wish I could have advocated for myself better about that. I think I didn't know what I was supposed to feel. Now I know that I think that they either did a bad job with it or they, mm-hmm. or because of my scoliosis, it just didn't distribute correctly. I think that I felt I mean, I, I still feel, I didn't really feel any relief. I still felt like I felt everything going mm-hmm. on. Um, but I, I had it and I laid there for as long as I could to try to rest. And then at about three in the afternoon, I was nine or 10 centimeters dilated and I start pushing and I pushed for about 45 minutes and he came out. So all in all, I can't complain that it was a bad birth. It wasn't, um, obviously nothing happened to him. Nothing happened to me, everything I'm very grateful for, but physically it was quite traumatic as I think all births are, you know, it is a trauma that your body endures. It's a huge thing. Um, and, and I remember laying there, even with epidural thinking I'm never having more children. If someone had a brick, I would appreciate them just whacking me over the head with it. I will do anything to not experience this right now. Um, but then he comes out and it's also the best moment of your entire life and mm-hmm. it's pure magic. So I don't know. My birth was a very New York city birth, which I'm sure is fitting. And <laughs> I, I still do it again, but it definitely, I, I could never have prepared for how hard it was. I thank you for sharing. And I know it's hard to share. It's hard to think back on some of those moments too. And it's crazy because there's actually a lot of parallels between yours and my birth stories. Um, I'm almost like, wait, are you telling my story? What's happening right now? It's very similar, Leah. Um, really? But yeah. you were in labor for so long, right? I was. Yeah, it ended up being 28 hours. Oh. Um, so it was it was long, but kind of the same thing. Water broke at two in the morning. Mine was at two o seven. Yours is two thirty, and then um, yeah, very similar to where I did hypnobirthing beforehand too. And I really thought, okay, I'm gonna conquer this mindset piece. I'm gonna go in just totally relaxed and fully surrendered. And um, I think kind of where I went wrong too was when my water broke we everybody tells you that for your first baby you're going to be late and no mine came exactly it was the last day of my 38 weeks so it was right before 39 weeks and um we were not prepared (laughs) yes we were not prepared prepared. yeah Yeah, I was like okay instead of resting like you know my midwife and doula told me to do um I was like oh no we got to pack the hospital bag like ready we have nothing prepared we still had our christmas decorations up this was in um in january beginning of january and it was like wait a minute this is this can't be happening right now and so um yeah i didn't take the time to rest but i also had 
excruciating. I guess I ended up having back labor. And I wonder if that's something similar to what you were experiencing too, maybe even with the scoliosis, but I, it was just unbearable and it really caught me off guard with how painful it was. And I tried to do the hypnosis and I tried to, you know, just do different breathing techniques, different positions. And it was just really, really painful. And my labor ended up regressing um essentially from I think it was six or seven centimeters too and then it ended up or no I ended up getting to eight and it went back down to six which was crazy and um we were approaching the 24-hour mark too and my midwife had said when your water breaks you know after 24 hours we've got to get this baby out there's a risk for infection so we ended up going to the hospital I ended up having an epidural too um but I did feel mine worked it definitely worked and it provided the relief it helped so much um but I think too it almost worked too well because then I didn't feel anything when my little girl was coming out. And I kind of wish I did. I think that piece um, is something that I look back on. I don't want to say regret because I feel like that's a bit of a strong word, but I wish I would have been able to at least feel that maybe sensation as she was coming out and I wasn't able to. So um, Hmm. but yeah, kind of same thing. I mean, she, she came out, we ended up in the hospital, didn't think we were going to end up being there, but yeah, just kind of took a turn of events and it was, different than what I expected, I think is how I kind of sum up my birth too, but yeah. um, definitely very similar. So thank you for sharing yeah, that. Wow. I don't know if you've really shared that before. I don't know if you have. Yeah, yeah no, I'm pretty open about it. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm like, I'm very proud of it. It's definitely the yeah, first thing yeah. I've ever done. So I'm like, listen to my warrior story. <laughs> right. And, and it like never comes across <laughs> as crazy as it was, you know, but yes, yes the pain was un- unbelievable. And I do think I had back labor too, because I remember my doula would try to apply counter pressure on my mm-hmm. back. And I was like, not on don't mm-hmm. touch my back like yes. she had told me about that before and I was like oh, I'll definitely like that because mm-hmm. I use ac- I do acupuncture on my mm-hmm. back you know I do like um heavy massages so I thought that mm-hmm. having pressure would help me but I was just like oof mm-hmm. I, you can't touch me you know yes. so nothing none of the remedies really worked for me at all um mm-hmm. and that is uh I'm gonna take to heart that you actually said that you kind of you know wish you would have felt your little girl come out because Oh, I felt it. And I full on <laughs> screamed. I think that everyone yeah. on the floor probably thought that I was like going through some sort of exorcism because I went fully tribal and was like, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, and it was the most painful thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm. It was so, so ridiculous. But then, you know, then he did come out. So I'm going to reframe how ridiculous it was to <laughs> no. really lucky that I felt it. No, I, I you know, I, I can totally see that. So I will it, take that with me. It's so different though, too. I just expected to be able to feel it. And the epidural was just so numbing that it, yeah, again, it just like worked a little too well, but also I, I'm grateful for not experiencing that level of pain. Cause at that point, after that long of a labor, I was exhausted and I think I needed that rest and that relief. So I think it all ended up working out the way it needed to, but yeah. um, Yeah. So tell me about that first moment when your little boy came out, like what was going through your head? What was that feeling that you had? (laughs) You cry all over. I'm like, this is an amazing time for us to have this interview because I went back to Lenox Hill, the hospital I had him at yesterday because my closest mom friend just had a second baby. And so we were there seeing her and, and, um, you know, visiting the newborn and just holding a newborn again, you know, Mm -hmm. and realizing that my son, who's now 25 pounds was once (laughs) like the seven pounds, like this little baby was, but I picked her up at first. I almost flung her across my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Carrying my, like, like he could be a dumbbell of a toddler. Um, so, you know, I was just reliving it all. And I, uh, I didn't want to put too much pressure on that moment. I think you don't know how you're going to you don't know if you're going to bond with the baby right away. And especially at that point, I was not excited to meet him. Not that I was 
unexcited, but I just could not get myself mentally there at all because I was so, you know, in so much pain and so exhausted. And, um, it was, it it was sort of just like an afterthought. All I could really think of is I want this to be over. Mm -hmm. Um, but when, when he came out and when he put, then when they put him on my chest, I, I lost it. I mean, my head went back completely and I just wailed to the heavens. Mm -hmm. I was like a complete (laughs) bubble burst. And I don't, I don't really have the words. It was sort it just felt like something clicked. It felt like a huge sense of relief. It felt, it just, I don't know. I don't know. You know, there are no words to describe it. I don't think that I had the wherewithal or the awareness to think, oh, you were always meant to be my son or, oh my God, I'm meeting you and I've always known you. But there was just this inner sense of belongingness that mm-hmm. I think really came and just sureness about him and about my, me and us being together. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did pregnancy together and now we're going to do this chapter on the other side together. And it just felt very complete, I think is the mm-hmm. best way. Oh, that's beautiful. Complete. I love that. Yeah. That resonated a lot. That's awesome. So um, let's see, after your little (laughs) baby was born, tell me about those first maybe few weeks of postpartum. What was that like bringing your baby home and how did you adjust to being a family of three? Yeah, definitely a kick in the ass. Yes. Um, (laughs) Way to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a huge wake up call. I spent so much time preparing for birth and I spent so little time preparing for postpartum. And I did that intentionally. You know, I I think it's so important to share our stories as moms, but I also think it's important to have boundaries around what you absorb as a mom, because you can take on other people's experiences or traumas or um, judgments or ways that they see things that aren't true for you. And I think when you're a new mom, you're so vulnerable to, am I doing this right? Is this how I should be doing it? What are other people doing? And you're really still developing that relationship with your baby that's uniquely yours, as well as your own intuitive sense when it comes to motherhood. So I think it's important to be guarded around what everyone else is doing so you can hone in on what you're doing. All this to say, I didn't really pay that much attention to what things were going to be like when he came home. My plan was I'm going to hire a night nurse for the first 10, I think eight weeks or something like that. I'm going to try to breastfeed, but I'm going to have no pressure on myself. And if it doesn't go well, I'm not going to care. I'm going to switch to formula right away. I do not want to have pressure on myself. Um, And that's pretty much as far as I got. So when he came home and he was born on Thanksgiving, so the holidays were around the corner, um, we had this night nurse set up. Uh, She came like, I think on his fifth day of life. So we did three days, just me, my husband and my mom. And uh, Paul, my son did not want to be put down. So literally we would do shifts from like 10 to one, one to four, four to seven, and just hold him on our chest all night. (laughs) And I would wake up every three hours and I would breastfeed him. And breastfeeding was something that really caught me by surprise, because like I said, I did not go into it with this whole breast is best. I must breastfeed type thing, but I did it in the hospital. It felt good. He latched pretty quickly by felt good. I mean, it was excruciatingly painful, but for whatever reason, I was like, we're doing this. Yeah. And I just like, as you know, as the days went on and even as the night nurse came, I was just like, not ready to give him formula. I can't put, I put my finger on it, but I think it was like, everything just felt so precious and delicate. And I was just afraid to like introduce anything too soon or mess up the very little rhythm that we had. So I just wasn't ready to stop breastfeeding because it felt like this is the one thing he's we've been doing since he was born. Um, as a result, I don't know that the night nurse was the best use of my money because she would, he would cry and she would change his diaper. But then yeah. Just, yeah. Wake me up and I nurse him. <laughs> And, uh, and I would nurse him for so long. I mean, that's what I really remember. That was the hardest part of those early days was like the marathon feeding sessions in the middle of the night, you know, and my mom's like, Oh, you should only feed him for half an hour. Not this baby. He wanted way longer and it was rough. So 
we did that. Um, and things were good. The nightmares did help. And then at about week three, I think I hit a new phase of exhaustion. And this is something that I do think is helpful for new moms to hear. Enjoy or try to lean into a sense of adrenaline that you might get in the first few weeks because you're so excited. I was anyway, and we had so much family there helping and people were bringing food and we had people delivering things and it was the holidays. So everyone was together. And then after like week three or four, when things kind of settled down a little and the help left and you know, he still wasn't sleeping any more than he was when he was first came home. That's, I remember when I was like, oh my God, like I am really, really tired and I have no relief and no end in sight. Um, and that was the hardest part. I think I'm glad that we kept with breastfeeding, but it was hard. I think now if I were to do it again, if I were to scientifically ninja it, even though every baby's so different, Mm -hmm. I would spend the first month breastfeeding on demand, doing whenever he or she wanted trying to just sleep when he slept and truly, I think, do nothing else but be on his rhythm. Mm -hmm. After the first month, I do think I would get a night nurse again. And I think the way that you could get around it not making sense is to try to pump once in the morning and then take one feet off in the middle of the night. So if you can get Mm -hmm. like a six hour stretch Mm -hmm. and the night nurse is with the baby feeding them a bottle of pumped breast milk at night, then I do think it's worth it. I think if you can go from like 10 to four, you're a very different person than if you're going from like 10 to one and then one to four. That's so true. I think people underestimate too the lack of sleep. And I mean, you function through it surprisingly. I've never had so little sleep as I did during that postpartum period, but um, it really wears on you. And then even to continue breastfeeding you and your own supply, you need rest, right? It's physically important for you to be able to replenish too. So I think that's a really great strategy and something that Maybe we'll try next time too, because um, we kind of did a similar schedule. It was just very on demand, but lots of cluster feeding and things like that too. So it's, it's challenging to be able to keep on going. Like you said, marathon, it really does feel like you're running a marathon at times too. So relentless (laughs) sometimes. And you're just like, I have nothing left to give, but I think I have better perspective now where, you know, like they will grow out of this and they Mm -hmm. just are new to the world and they need a little bit of comfort. And if so, you know, I know it's not easy, but in in the moment it can just feel like, Oh my God, when is this going to end? I also just want to say for anyone listening, because I wish I would have heard more of this the sleep was so brutal for me. It made me depressed. I got to some really dark places when he, when he would really not sleep or when we'd have sleep regressions. Um, and we gently sleep trained him. I don't want to make the impression that I did a cried out method. I didn't, I did taking care of babies, which is very popular, but because of the mom communities I tend to follow that are very breastfeeding heavy, they're very anti-sleep training. Um, and I just want to say there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing what you need to do for your own mental health. And my son is 18 months old and I'm still breastfeeding him. So all of this talk that like, if your baby sleeps through the night, you're going to, your supply will dry up. That did not happen to me. Yeah. And it, there's no shame in doing what you need to do. I love that. I think there's very polarizing views with anything really. Right. And I think that's, what's important is listen to your own intuition, going back to what you were saying at the beginning and trust what's right for you, for your baby. And it might be different for the next baby too. I mean, every yeah. baby's even a little unique and every circumstance is unique. So um, yeah, don't feel shame. Don't feel guilt for maybe going a different direction than maybe what you initially thought, or than what you're hearing in terms of advice. Um, take it, leave it, filter it and do what's best for you. So I love that. Absolutely. So now that you are 18 months into this, into this journey, tell me a little bit more about how you've been able to create such, I would say a beautiful harmony, I would say between motherhood and entrepreneurship. I feel like you have such an 
an ideal scenario. So what did you do to really prepare yourself for that? And how have you prioritized motherhood and your business? And what does that look like for you? Well, thank you. I agree. I feel like I'm in a very lucky and beautiful place. I work around 30 hours a week. My business, we just had another seven figure consecutive 12 months in sales, which I'm very proud of. Um, especially doing it only working 30 hours a week. I think the things that have most served me in creating this um, are, as usual, some mindset shifts. First of all is um, like being okay with things being seasons. You know, the first year of my son's life, I was not girl boss of the year. It was like not me, you know, writing the next New York Times bestseller. And that was okay. My income actually dropped. And and, and that's real. You know, I'm not saying that to like belittle this or to say like, oh, I'm making so much money. It doesn't matter if my income drops, you know, my household relies on me financially and there are repercussions with that. And I have a lot of compassion for someone listening to this thinking like, well, there's things that come with my income dropping. I do get that. And, and I do too. And I really believe there's always more money to be made. And I think that where women do ourselves wrong is not taking ownership of the seasons that we're in. Because if you don't have that intentionality behind, you know what, motherhood is my priority right now, and I'm okay if my income dips a little, then you're forever going to feel like you're doing it wrong. Because if your income then dips and you're like, oh my God, well, motherhood's my priority, but my certainly my income can't be touched or my business can't be touched, then you're setting yourself up for a losing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the reverse, if you're like, Biz- business is my priority right now, like I'm in a very momentous place with business. Um, and then you're feeling guilty that you're not the one, you know, with your kid five days a week and you need to have a little bit of childcare help. It's a losing game too. So I think just leaning into what the most important thing is to me at the time. And I believe you can have it all. I'm not one of those people that's like, Oh, you can't have it all. I do think you can have it all. I think it takes discipline. I think it takes self-awareness of knowing where your, you know, time is best spent and, um, taking ownership of your musts and kind of releasing the outcome with anything else. The other thing I'll say, kind of piggybacking off of that, when I decided that I was only going to work three days a week, I decided that pregnant and, um, you know, it was something that I worked on while pregnant. It was something that I slowly did because I was at five days and then I went down to four and then I went down to three and the first six months, um, of my son's life and of being officially at three months were very hard. My income was quite a bit lower than it was, um, you know, in the years that were before that. And I felt like I lost a little bit of my, um, I don't know, as just being as powerful as an entrepreneur as I was, but I had that ownership of these three days, this three day thing is a non-negotiable for me. Mm -hmm. So even if things feel harder right now, or even if it feels like I'm not getting as much done, or even if it feels like I'm not as good as I used to, I'm okay with it because this three day week thing is a non-negotiable for me. And I think when you can have that attitude, things have a way of presenting themselves in the form of opportunities to you. And now, you know, I still only work three days a week and we just had another seven figure year, but it took time. And I really want to emphasize that because I think it's so easy to be like, oh, do you just wave a magic wand and cut your hours in half and your income not change? No, of course not. You know, but um, you have to be willing to be disappointed in your pursuit for something better. And I think a lot of people are so wildly uncomfortable being disappointed that they don't even bother pursuing what's on the other side or they pursue it. And then when it doesn't happen quickly, they, they jump ship because they can't take the discomfort or the disappointment. Mm, that's so, so powerful. Um, yeah. And I think what's resonating with me. And when I think back about everything that you've shared, intention just keeps coming back to mind though, too, is you are very, detached from the outcome and you're very clear on your desires and your intentions for your life and for what you're wanting to create, whether it's motherhood, whether it's in your business. And 
because of that, because you're really leaning into that trust and um, just the alignment of your life, I feel like things work out in your favor. And it's, it's not by accident. I really truly feel like everything that you've built is by design. And I think that's really, really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. I have one last question for you as we wrap up here. So um, what, what does motherhood mean to you? Oh, what a beautiful question. You know, sometimes I feel selfish saying this, but maybe you can relate to this. Motherhood is just as much about what it does for you as it is about what it does for your kids mm-hmm. and what it does for their life. And I don't think I ever could have imagined that before becoming a mom. And I am so consumed with my love for him, just like I thought I'd be. And just like they say you are, but I don't think I was ready for or expected or even considered the just like intrinsic joy it can bring back into your life about what you want for your kid and what you prioritizing your family because of what motherhood is bringing into your life is so nourishing for you. It's almost like you get to remother yourself in a way that I don't think we do before where mothers like, you know, I'm prioritizing spending more time outside with him, which is great for me too. And <laughs> we don't use screens as much in our house, which is great for me too. And we're paying more attention to the, you know, nature and the simple things in life, which is wonderful for me too. And I think I I never could have imagined, you know, I think motherhood gets such this rap about how it's so self-sacrificing and it's only about your kids and, you know, you're going to give up your whole identity. And I think just being able, because your job as a mom is to incorporate what you think is most important for a kid to succeed into his or her life, you by default can do that back into your life. And you might have you know, really let go of some of those things over the years, especially those of us who, well, all of us coming out of a pandemic where a lot of just our daily practices were so skewed, you know, so bringing back what's important because your kid needs to know it's good to spend time outside. It's good to take care of yourself. It's good to eat healthy. It's good to be kind to people. And just having those things be like, um, you know, new theme in your life, I think makes you such a more centered person than I was. Mm, I love that. And I, Oh, that's beautiful. I don't even have to follow that up. I just think that's such a beautiful explanation and how it parallels really just your own self-improvement. Like you become a better person than even you were before. And um, yeah. I think that's really beautiful and intentional again. So, um, so Leah, this was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being transparent, for sharing everything. I feel like you are so wise beyond your years. I always just love talking to you. You have so many nuggets of gold. I feel like that you shared and pieces of advice. So Thank you for that. Um, I know we'll add information to the show notes on where people can find you, but is there anything specific that you either want to share about your your business or what it's like to work with you? And then maybe even um, any parting words that you want to share with the listeners. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I think that it's so um, meaningful and you're just such a great leader for facilitating this type of conversation. And, uh, you know, you sharing your story has been inspiring for me and I'm sure you're helping so many people by doing so. And um, so thank you again for thinking of me and uh, anyone out there who's listening, you can find me on my website at leahgervais.com. But I actually just recently made a little guide that shows kind of a week in my life that talks about how I balance motherhood and work. I don't even like the word balance, but how I um, think about the two and kind of exactly what it plays out to be. So if you want that, it's only something I gave to my subscribers, but if you want that, you can just email us and we'll send it your way, obviously free. And I hope that it helps. Thank you for offering that. That's very generous and very sweet of you. So awesome. Well, thank you, Leah. 
Alright friend, that's it for today. It was great catching up with you though, and I can't wait to do it again next week. Can I just say, I really appreciate you being here, and it means so much that you took time out of your day to listen in. So what'd you think of the episode? Let me know if you enjoyed it by leaving a rating and review. It'll just take a second, and this simple act of generosity helps more women discover the podcast so they can feel supported on their fertility journey as well. Thank you for being so kind and paying it forward. Oh yeah, and by the way, if you're looking to connect with other women who are trying to get pregnant, then I've got just the place for you. Consider this your personal invitation to join the Fertility Friends community. It's a safe and supportive space to connect that's off of social media, and it's totally free. Head on over to blossomingfertility.com slash friends to join. I can't wait to welcome you inside. Take care, my friend.